as you know, we are in the middle of a message series called Sons of Issachar. How many people are enjoying this series so far? Sons of Issachar. If you haven't been with us or you've missed one of the first couple of weeks, today's week three, just to catch you up on, to speed. Sons of Issachar, the Bible tells us in 1 Chronicles chapter 12 that they were a people who had understanding of the times and knew what Israel ought to do. I believe that the Lord has really showed me and is saying that there is a picture here in the sons of Issachar that is what the church needs to look like right now today in our generation. Let me explain. Having understanding of the times meant that this was a people who were receiving and open to hearing the wisdom of God, having discernment in the generation and times that they were living in and had wisdom about how to navigate the situations that they would face. How many people know every generation will face its own set of complexities and challenges that are unique to them, right? And the sons of Issachar were a people, the Bible says, that Israel would come to and they would receive wisdom and understanding that God was giving them and that they would call the people to the mountains. They would even help the rest of Israel know when it was time to gather corporately as a nation and worship God, festivals, feasts, and things like that. So they were sought out. They were re regarded as men and women who knew what the wisdom of God and that generation and that era was saying and doing. And I believe this is a great picture of what the church needs to look like in every generation. Let me also say I'm a great opportunist. Or I'm a great optimist. And that sounded terrible. We're live. Hey, everybody. Wow. I guess the Lord just wants to remind me not to take myself too seriously. I am a great optimist. Uh, and I, I do fully believe with all my heart that there is the opportunity right now for the church to really just lead and be strong and to be steady and steadfast. We are to be poised and not jump on this roller coaster of flying up and down emotionally and caught up in the storm of everything that's going on. We're here. We're meant to make a difference. We don't run and hide from it, but we're here to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. The church being steady, steadfast, strong, poised, of sound mind, navigating through difficult times is a picture of what God's people are supposed to look like. I get an amen to that. All right, we can edit that in the footage later. Okay. So um, in week one, I really just opened all this up, talked a lot about the sons of Issachar and the history and background of that people. Week two, Katie uh, last week spoke about how in order to be someone who receives God's wisdom, who lives according to God's wisdom, is being filled with God's wisdom, that there are things the Bible shows us that we have to do, that we have to walk in. And the thing that she addressed last week, which is of critical importance, is that we have to pursue that wisdom. We have to go after it. This is not a casual ask. This isn't like, well, if I get it, I get it. I don't, I don't. All right? The scriptures tell us that we're to pursue wisdom like it's precious rubies. It's more precious than silver or gold or precious treasure. We're to go after that and pursue that as a people who desire God to fill us with that. But praise Him, it also says that wisdom cries out in the streets. 
stands at the gates and she wants to be heard. She wants to be found. God wants to bestow his wisdom and understanding upon his people in an abundant way so that we can be difference makers, game changers, influencers in the world around us in every generation. And everybody said amen to that, right? And so today, I want to talk to you about another thing that is very important that we have to maintain if we want to walk in the wisdom of God and have the understanding of God. And that is we must stay humble. We must stay humble. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. So you can want wisdom, you can pursue it, but let me just say it this way, as that scripture sets in with you. If you are not humble, you won't find her. If you are prideful and full of pride, then you will not attain the wisdom of God the way that he wants to give it to you. He gives it to those who have a spirit of humility. The Bible tells us that God resists the proud. That is a a statement of opposition and resistance. Pridefulness is not a container that can be filled with the wisdom of God. We must remain humble. And I want to show you today two ways that a spirit of humility demonstrates itself in our lives. Two ways that it presents itself that as we as God's people walk in, we can see these qualities and know that we're continuing to walk in a spirit of humility. The first is that humility demonstrates itself in reverence. Reverence. When I say reverence, I mean a respect and an honor for the supremacy and the ultimate authority of Almighty Sovereign God. It's so important that we don't just say, well, you know, we believe in God, but we kind of set Him over here on the side and make him maybe equal with other authorities, other voices, other influencing factors in our lives. God is on a throne that is high and lifted up and that is above everything that has ever been created. But it is up to us to enthrone him in that place in our own lives, in our own view of him. We must reverence God, revere him, we must respect him, and we must honor him. We have to put him in the place in our life that he deserves. Now, one of the statements that you find very common in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, that speaks to revering God, a reverence for him, is a statement called the fear of the Lord. Now, this is probably one of the things that is most misunderstood in the body of Christ. The concept of the fear of the Lord. Let me just say this first of all. The fear of the Lord is a healthy and good thing. And the Bible tells us that we are to maintain that. All right, Which means a reverence and a respect for God and his authority that always keeps him at the highest and ultimate level and having the final say in everything in our lives. What the fear of the Lord does not mean is something how some connotate it with which is some sort of like abusive authority figure. 
Now, if you have a bad experience in past relationships with authority figures, it's possible that this kind of statement can trigger something in you, can cause you to have a negative view and a misunderstanding of what a loving father is meant to be for you in your life the way God wants to be. A lot of times people had these relationships with authority figures where they feared them and they tried to do what was right, they tried to obey, they tried to measure up and not miss the mark because they didn't want to disrupt the powder keg. Is anybody with me so far? They, they didn't want to do wrong because they were afraid of, being, of getting in trouble. Listen, we don't, we're not a people who relate to our loving Father in a way where we just, we're kind of cowering down and we're afraid. We're just trying to do what's right because we're, we don't want to get in trouble and we're afraid of what might happen to us. That's not a picture of the fear of the Lord. That's not the way God wants to relate to you. He's a loving Father who came and suffered and died so that He could bring you to Himself. A fear of the Lord means we revere Him and respect Him in such a way that we obey God's commands, we live according to His precepts because we trust Him and we trust everything that He says and does is what's best for us all the time. Does that make sense? So listen to this. If we have that healthy reverence, fear of the Lord, that's a way humility demonstrates itself in our lives. Proverbs 9.10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It's the starting point. It's the place we begin. If we don't have a healthy view of God, a reverence for Him as the ultimate authority, His Word and His wisdom are superior to anything else in this world. If we don't approach Him and understand that, that's not the place we hold Him in in our hearts, then the beginning of the flow of wisdom doesn't even start for us in our lives. It also says in Proverbs 15.33 that the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. And before honor is humility. So instruction speaks to the ongoing consistency. Maintaining a reverence for God all the time in our lives throughout every season. And the wisdom of God steadily continuing to flow like an open spigot into our lives on a daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly basis. Like that's the way God wants us to live. But a spirit of reverence, humility is something we have to walk in and maintain. We've got to keep God as the ultimate authority in everything. Every, that's, all, that's where we got to be. And I think that many times people will allow other competing voices and influences to almost kind of, for them, knock God off that place or at the very least become equal with God, carry equal weight and equal influence. And then it starts to muddy the waters because God will never, he will never operate in that place in our lives. He will, he, will, he will only pour out his wisdom to us when we are putting him as the ultimate authority. So, so let me give you an example, okay? And I'll just kind of use something that I, it's one of those little pet peeves of mine, right? So I was like, this will be a good opportunity. So um, I, I hope I don't offend anybody or hurt your feelings when I say this. I don't mean to do that. If, if, what I'm talking about is something that maybe you've said or done or that you, you do do. Um, but I really do desire to try to help you have good theology. 
Um, and so this may be a point where if you're open to it, I can help you correct some bad theology if, if you think like this or say these things, okay? So you'll hear a lot of times, and you see it on social media or whatever, um, but people will say things like, hey, I'll just, I'm just going to ask the universe to be working for you in your favor. Um, oh, you've got a big thing going on. I'm, I'm going to send good vibes your way. I'm going to send some good vibes over there, okay? Now, keep in mind, listen, I'm talking about God as ultimate authority, and he's the source, right? So this is what I'm saying. Um, with no, I mean, no disrespect, <laughs> but you asking the universe to help me or sending good vibes my way isn't going to do anything for me. It's not going to do anything for me, but I will take your prayers all day long. I will take your God-inspired, faith-filled prayers all day long. Because faith moves mountains, vibes in universe don't do that. God does that. And when we think like that or make statements like that, everybody okay? Just okay, everybody's all right. All right. Woo, we got through that one. Okay. When we do those things, listen, this is why I'm saying this is, is it's, it's kind of a caution. When we do that, probably unknowingly, we are ascribing glory to things that only God deserves for. We cannot confuse creation with the creator. Please do not put anything on a pedestal. Keep God on his throne. We have to maintain that view of God at all times in our lives. Hallelujah. A healthy reverence and respect for God is the highest source of wisdom and recognizing that the knowledge of this world cannot compete with the wisdom of God. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5 says that our faith should never be in the wisdom of men, but only in the power of God. Listen, the knowledge of the world has always been trying to knock God off of his place of authority in people's lives. It's really nothing new. The Bible tells us that knowledge puffs up. So when we begin to take worldly knowledge and esteem it equal to or even above God in our lives as more influential and guiding forces, then we actually slip into a place of, of pridefulness. And the wisdom of the world, the knowledge of this world has always been trying to do that in the lives of God's people. You know, we call today an age of intellectualism. Have you ran into situations or encountered things in relationships where all of a sudden if you're not educated to a certain level, you don't have a certain degree or you don't understand a certain topic, then you're just belittled, you're looked at as uneducated and ignorant and you're just kind of laughed away. Has anybody ever experienced that before, right? Very degrading. Wisdom of the world is always trying to belittle the wisdom of God, right? Here's what I would say to that, if you've ever experienced that. So what? So what? Is it hurting you? I mean, it's been happening since the beginning of time. We have intellectualism today. When Jesus was around shortly after, they had the age of enlightenment. If you weren't enlightened, astute, somehow an elitist intellectually, you couldn't even know God. This was your way and your path to him was to somehow be enlightened intellectually in your mind and you were a lesser thinker or a lesser citizen of society if you haven't received that type of mental enlightenment. Well, let's go all the way back to the garden. 
And Satan's tactic to deceive Adam and Eve ultimately came down to trying to trick them that he could give them some kind of knowledge, some kind of wisdom to know something that God couldn't give them to know. That they could find something through him that would open their eyes and their mind to something that God couldn't give them. You see, the knowledge of the world is always trying to compete to take a place in our lives and not God off of his place of supremacy for us. Maintaining a spirit of humility is always having a reverence and a respect for at the end of the day, God is the one who has the final say. If God says it, it is so. Listen in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 21. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. That's the promise for what will happen and the outcome of the knowledge of the world right there. I love this next verse, verse 20. It says, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. And so it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Jumping down to verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is is stronger than men. He's saying, even here in this scenario, you can't even know God. You can't even come into a relationship through him, with him by way of knowledge of the world. And then he compares and says, the, the knowledge of this world is like foolishness with God. So I'll put my trust in this wisdom right here all day long over whatever the passing wisdom of the world is in any time or in any generation. We need to maintain that reverence and respect and honor for God at all times. But I would say this, and especially in the days that we live in, as a people of God, listen, be prepared for your trust in the wisdom of God to be belittled or demeaned by those who put their faith in the knowledge of this world. It's not new, but when that happens, please, I appeal to you, let's respond as the people of God should respond. Let's be part of the solution and not part of the problem. When those things are happening, it isn't a godly reaction or response to retaliate in anger or in wrath, to spout things off and to get into some sort of a competition with anyone. All of a sudden now we're trying to overcome evil with evil and the Bible says you don't do that, you overcome evil with good. We are a people who if we walk in the wisdom of God should be able to maintain a sound, mind, level, headed, even keel. People who navigate through this difficult storms of life and their peace is never disrupted. There are times when we engage in conversations and discussions when we know the opportunity is there for us to be fruitful. We put our trust in what Luke says in his gospel where he says don't worry ahead of time because the Holy Spirit will give you the words in the moment that you need to say and that you need to share. 
we assess situations, we will all be faced with opportunities where we can make a difference, we can improve something, we can be a part of a solution, but there's also the opportunity for us to be a part of the problem and contribute to the problem if we react in the wrong way as well. I think this is one of those moments where part of the threat is for the church to really rise up and be the church. Part of the threat is that in the body of Christ, we would respond wrongly and then we would add to the problem instead of being part of the solution. There are times where we engage in fruitful conversations and our words impact an environment, but we know that there are also times where we exercise restraint, where we just choose to remain silent. Paul even tells Timothy, he says, listen, there's points where you just have to avoid profane and idle babblings that produce no fruitfulness. When you see a situation like that, listen, just use restraint. People are, are under attacks from fear and panic all over the place, but those are people and those attacks are coming from something that's evil. But these are people, these are souls that God loves and we need to love as well and not get a judgmental spirit about us in the midst of all these things. And Jesus even says, uh, uses a parable. He says, look, there's, two, there's a tax collector and there's a Pharisee and they go into the temple. And the Pharisee goes in and says, oh, thank you, God, that I'm not like these other men. Thank you, God, that I'm not crazy and ridiculous and I'm not caught up in, I'm not thinking like all these, thank you God that I'm me and I'm not them. And then he says, but the tax collector goes and says, thank you God that you've forgiven me. I'm filthy rags. God, I don't even deserve you, but thank you for receiving me. He says, I tell you, that man went down more justified than the the Pharisee did. We've got to realize that there's people who are hurting and who are suffering and we can't get into a place where we respond in a way that makes the problem worse instead of being part of the solution. Man, the people of God got to be steadfast, poised, steady hand to hold a full cup, right? Jesus was so even-tempered. He was so cool and calm. He's walking along, and he's competing. Jesus, Jesus, Lazarus is dead. We got to get there, Lazarus. Jesus said, we'll get there in a couple days. He just poised. Jesus, Jesus, get up. There's a storm. We're going to die. Storm, be still. Raise up your faith. I'm going back to bed. <laughs> you know, I mean, this panic thing isn't going to do anybody any good. We got to stay level-headed, guys. We got to be a people of consistency during times like this. Amen. So the first thing about humility, it demonstrates itself in reverence, respect, and honor for God as ultimate authority and for his wisdom above the wisdom of this world. The second one that I want to give you today, how humility demonstrates its life, itself in our lives, is through servanthood. Is through servanthood. Let's put up Genesis chapter 49 verses 14 and 15. I know Katie shared this verse last week, but I'm going to hit on some things that she didn't hit on. (laughs) Hey, you guys, serious. No, I'm not talking about some of the things she talked about. She's, uh, I I don't know, you messed me up. All right, so anyway, (laughs) verses 14 and 15. So this is Jacob, the father of the 12 sons, the 12 tribes, blessing his 12 sons as he's getting ready to die. And he's blessing Issachar here 
in this moment. He says, Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. He saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant, and he bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. Keep that up there for just a minute. So first of all, what you got to know is that these blessings in many ways are prophetic in nature, meaning there are near-term fulfillments, but there's also long-term fulfillments that are continuing to happen even way beyond Jacob issuing this blessing. I'll give you an example. In the blessing over Judah, he says that Judah and the tribe of Judah will be like a lion and that the scepter will not depart from him. Well, we know that's a prophetic picture of the scepter and a picture of Jesus, the Messiah, and King of Kings, who actually came from the lineage of Judah and under that, that genealogy, many, almost 2,000 years later. So a lot of these things that are said are, are blessings that also have prophetic nature and long-term fulfillment and implication to them. And with Issachar, the statement that really jumped out at me about this whole servanthood and being humble in the way we serve each other, not looking to be served, is this statement right here where it says, he bowed his shoulder to bear a burden. Everybody say, bow your shoulder. So I started studying that because these types of things in the Bible can be a little bit confusing, right? You gotta dig in and you gotta know how to approach scripture, interpret it, and you start digging in. And the first thing you see is that the, the term shoulder it means when, when something is on a shoulder, it means to carry the load, to bear the weight and the responsibility of that thing. Let me give you an example. It says in Isaiah chapter 9 of the Messiah that the government of God will be upon his shoulders and the increase of his government, there will be no end. Jesus has the, this is good, Jesus has the full government and reign of the kingdom of heaven on his shoulders. He's carrying it so you don't have to. He's delegating that authority to us as sons and daughters, right? So to have that on the shoulder means to accept the responsibility. But that term bowed the shoulder, which means to like lay down and lean in and almost kind of take a knee and extend the shoulder forward. I started to study what does that term and that phrase mean? And what I actually found first was the meaning of the opposite of that term. Not to actually bow the shoulder, but to turn the shoulder away. And if you understand what it means to turn the shoulder away, I think it makes more sense what it means to actually bow the shoulder towards. So take a look at this in Zechariah chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. It says that the people of God refused to heed the words of the prophet Zechariah, and so they shrugged their shoulders, or in another translation, turned them away. And they stopped their ears so that they could not hear. Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. So what this means when it says they turned their shoulders away, listen, it's a rebellious term. It means to resist and to reject, to be unsubmissive. Does that make sense? And so he's saying that these, the people of God, when the prophet was trying to speak to them, this was their response. They turned the shoulder away. They were, they were unreceptive and unwilling to submit to God through those words of the prophet. They were rebellious. And, and, and because of that, they suffered the consequences of those things. Listen, in, in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 28 and 29, 
um, the people. After they had rest, they again did evil before you. You is God. Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies and, attest- and then testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly, you see that, and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. Here you go. And they shrugged or turned their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. So to turn the shoulder away is to be stiff-necked and stubborn. It's to turn your will against and oppose instead of towards, which is the opposite response, obviously, of what we have to have with the Lord. How many people have ever said or made the statement, man, that person just really gave me the, there you go, right? You gave me the cold shoulder. I was like, that's kind of interesting. You know where that came from? So in the early 1800s, there was a poet named Sir Walter Scott who in one of his writings coined that phrase, turn the cold shoulder, and it actually was a misquote from Nehemiah 9.29, to shrug and turn the shoulder away. Probably same meaning and same implication, but that's where that statement originally came from. Here's the point, though, is that if turning the shoulder away from means to be unsubmissive and rebellious, then turning the shoulder to means to be submissive and to be willing to serve. And in our lives, as a people of God, if we are going to receive God's wisdom and understanding, then our posture needs to be this towards our fellow man. Willing to serve, not to be served. Jesus said the son of man did not come to serve but to did not come to be served but to serve that he might suffer and die for men so that they would have life and he is the picture that we have of what we're supposed to look like it said of Issachar he bowed down his shoulder between two burdens and became a band of slaves Now, this is interesting. They became a band of slaves because you know that they didn't become enslaved to the other tribes. So that's not what that statement means. When you study it and you research it and you look at it in the Hebrew, here's another way that you can make that same statement, right? Sons of Issachar, people who had understanding of the times, knew what Israel ought to do, functioned in wisdom and understanding. It says that they were a collective group of servants. That's another way to say a band of slaves. We're here, folks, to serve, not to be served. There are people hurting out there. They don't need us to be judgmental. They don't need us to look down our eyes and our noses at them and think that they're ridiculous because they don't see things the way we see them. Of course they don't. We've had our eyes opened. We have a source living in us that opens our eyes to something the world cannot show us. Those are souls out there. Those are people, God, that Jesus also suffered and died for. Our opportunity to serve people right now in our community is right here when it matters most when things are most difficult, when hell is breaking loose all over the place. Now is when the people of God demonstrate humility through servanthood as much as ever before. 
And we will have the wisdom of God continuing to flow into our lives if we are here to serve people and not try to be served. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is a, a little argument, you know, and little chatter that went on between some of the apostles a couple of times in Scripture. James and John, we know, were some of them. And then their mom got up in the mix and got involved. Don't you just hate when your mom, mom get out of here, you know? My mom does it all the time. No, I'm just kidding. She didn't do that. Stay out of it, mom, says James and John's mom. Got up in there and Jesus, Jesus, you know. Uh, I know that you love all these guys, you know. They're, they're all pretty cool. They're good. Uh, but my sons, God, I want them to be the greatest, you know. Would you, would, you, would you let them sit at your right hand? Would you let them, Jesus, be at your right hand in heaven? There's this quarrel amongst them. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? You see the, like, irony in the thought process, right? Here's how Jesus responds to those things. He says, I'll tell you this. Unless you humble yourself like a little child, you won't know what it means to be great in the kingdom. He says, I'll tell you who's greatest of all in the kingdom of God. It's he who's willing to serve all and not be served. Folks, I'm just trying to say today, in light of all that's going on and God bringing this message series and everything at the time he is, like, we're here to serve not to be served. We're here to make a difference and be part of the solution and not part of the problem. We, reply, we, we rely upon the wisdom of God and don't put our faith in the knowledge of this world. But we must steadily have that wisdom flowing into us so that we can make a difference and an impact. And if we don't walk according to a spirit of humility, we will not receive what we need most right now. These are perilous times. We need God's wisdom to cut through the fog. We pursue it with all of our heart. We pursue it like precious treasure. But according to scripture, I'm just telling you, if you're not humble, you won't find her. If you don't continue to walk in a spirit of humility, then the treasure chest of the wisdom of God will not be opened up to you. But for those who walk according to a spirit of humility... Her treasures and her beauty are endless. Long days and long life she adds to you. She's sweeter than honey. She will bring joy and peace. She will bring knowledge and she will fulfill you. I want that in my life so much. I don't know about you. The blessing and the treasure in that chest of wisdom of what it does for us in our lives. It says there's nothing in the world that can compare with her. I want that. We want that. And the, the world needs the people of God to carry that in abundance right now. Hallelujah in Jesus' name. I'll close with this. Paul said to Timothy, or the, uh, Paul said to the church at Colossae, he said, I pray fervently all of the time for you that you would be filled with a spirit of wisdom and understanding. And I'm praying today, folks, church, brothers and sisters, I'm praying today that we would be filled with a spirit of wisdom and understanding and that we would be a part of the solution in treacherous times and not a part of the problem.
Amen.